Today's episode of Signs of the Times Radio deals with some mature themes which may disturb some listeners. Parental supervision is recommended. Kathy Hookham hasn't lived a regular life. Her incredible story, which includes her experience working as a clairvoyant, will show you just how close we are to the spiritual realm. And while she worked with dark forces for a large part of her life, she will share the incredible story of how she came into the light. Welcome to Signs of the Times Radio. It's great to have you back here on Signs of the Times Radio for another week. My name is Daniel Kuberek, and with me I have a very special guest this week. Her name is Kathy Hookham. Kathy, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Daniel. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Now, Kathy, just giving you a little bit of a uh, background. So, it's sort of last week on Science Radio, we had my editor of the magazine. We actually discussed our spiritual forces real. So, we kind of explored the topic as far as what the psychological evidence, I guess, is for explaining spiritual forces. Yeah. Now, this week is is different, and it's going to be just as interesting because you have experience with spiritual forces and we're going to be unpacking your story i guess before we dive into the meat of what actually happened i guess i just want to know when do you remember was your sort of first encounter with with what we'd call spiritual forces what do you remember as your first encounter with the spiritual realm okay i don't think i can actually put an age on that i i remember always knowing things that uh, other people might say or or might do before things happened and so for me there wasn't really a, a specific time and then I used to get dreams and so forth so I can't really say that there's an, an age for me specifically. What, um, what did you see in those dreams? Was there something unusual about it that you could identify when you were young? But there were lots of different ones. I had a couple of, of particular ones that were reoccurring and they were of my grandfather being attacked by demons but they you couldn't see them so you could just see that uh, he was being clawed down his back and his he was wearing a, a thick leather jacket and you could see it being clawed and uh, you could see him being well I could see him being thrown from one side of the road to the other so yeah it it was one specific one what did you think of it at the time when you were having those dreams? Like, did it was it something that you thought was was real, or did you just sort of put it down to coincidence that it, you kept having this dream? I just thought of it as a reoccurring nightmare. Really, it was unusual. It was very detailed, so I could see everything around me. I could, but I, I sort of knew the things that were. It was very very gapped because it went from my grandfather. And being with my mum, watching, running up the road with her, to my grandmother who was driving in a car, which later I would then find out why there was a significance between the two. So Really? I guess the question is then, while you were having this dream, was your grandfather around at that time that you could ask him about or tell him about the dream that you were having about him? No, not really. He was over in New Zealand and we were over in Australia. So there was a, a period that we spent some time with my grandfather, but I don't recall having the dreams then. 
you know, had I had the opportunity to ask him, I don't actually know whether I would have because it wasn't, you know, as a, as a little child, you don't really particularly want to talk about scary stuff. And, mm. and it wasn't the only thing, like the other main dream was, um, was a, a lot of war and fighting and it was very violent. So as a little child, I always thought, I wondered if there was something wrong with me because I was having these terrible dreams. So I didn't really want to talk about it with my, with my, well, I never talked, spoke to my parents about it until I was much older. And, and I certainly wouldn't have wanted to confront my grandfather who, you know, was in it. So. Well, I think, I think you've mentioned to me in the past that it was actually when you were 22 years old that you, you asked your, your mother about it. What made you want to ask about it when you were 22? It sounds like this dream, you'd been having it for quite a number of years, right? Yeah. Yep. Well, what actually happened is by, by this stage, my sisters and I, I have two sisters, and we had already moved out of home. So we would go over from time to time to have um, morning tea with mum. And so it was just one of those times. And we were all just chatting and talking. And, and one of my sisters brought up, a recurring dream she was had been having, and sort of that's how the the situation arose. I then went through and said, "Well, I've been having one for years, like for years and years." By this stage, you know, I I wasn't really I'd uh, made my way. I was you know out on my own and and working and so forth. So I didn't really I hadn't really thought of it too much about I suppose it being. A supernatural thing. I had just put it to one side as being that's just that dream. I've always had it. I, you know, didn't think too much of it. So when the topic was brought up, I just thought, wow, yes, I've had, but mine's a little different than what yours was. And that's how it sort of came up. Yeah. Wow. What was your mum's reaction when you told her that you were having this dream? I think she was shocked. She, she actually kept saying, and then what happened? And then what happened? And then what happened? And so once I actually got through all of the things that, that I had, so she was actually quite quite silent, except for she kept saying, and then what happened? And, and then it wasn't until I'd finished that she said, I don't know how you could possibly know this because you weren't even born. That actually happened. And so, yeah, we then... She knew I knew what was going on because even down to the smallest of details, like my, my auntie who was living with, with mum at the time, she was being looked after by my mum and dad. And she might have been, I don't know, quite, she was quite young. She was, you know, in her, her late teens and she had a, a necklace. Her necklace was pulled up and, and off her neck and it was a, a it was a cross but it was um, pulled off her neck. And so there were sort of details in it that mum was shocked that I knew, I suppose. And so she then said to me, yeah, you weren't born and your grandparents don't talk about this. So, and she said, how long have you been having it for? And I just said to her, well, as long as I can remember. She said to me, how come you never spoke about it? And I said to her, well, you know, it's not the kind of thing that you really speak about. Mm. So, mm. was was that the only occurrence that had happened of that kind of magnitude 
to your your grandfather or that your mother had witnessed too? Like, did you once you started talking about it, was there more stuff that you didn't even know about that had happened like that? Yes, lots of stuff. My grandmother has lots of stories she went through and shared with me later on. I wasn't until um, I was about uh, 27, I think it was, and I was then attacked by spirits. And I wasn't coping. And I had a friend who was into witchcraft at the time. And so, and I had said to her about, this is really not good. And, and then stuff started happening. I started seeing these monsters in my rearview mirror when I would drive to work. And, uh, so it was very scary. And I pulled over one day to the side of the road and I rang mum and I just said, I don't know what to do. I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. And, and she said, come to me. So I didn't go into work. I went straight to mum's and during that period of it would have been about half an hour, my mum had rung my grandmother and said to her, I need you to get on a plane and I need you to come and see your granddaughter. Whoa. So, yeah, and that's, that's when my grandmother started to know that there were things going on. So, yeah. Did she tell you about when... Her first encounter was with this stuff. Did they know how this all started? Well, because my family lineage is Mary, my grandmother proceeded to tell me that one of the original witch doctors that led the first canoes to find New Zealand was in my heritage. So my great-great-grandmother and my grandfather's great-great-grandfather were also connected to the spirit world. So there has, there was, yeah, that's when I found out that it was sort of in in my genes. Wow. It had almost been like following your, your family line. Yes. Now, Kathy, you've faced your, your fair share of challenges in life, in fact, more than most. You know, just the, the underlying other stuff that was going on around this time can you just share a little bit about what other things you were sort of facing as you were growing up as an adolescent girl? Okay, well, I was I was raped at 14 and was 14 in nine months, if I can remember rightly, by a relative when I was um, staying away at my auntie's on holidays. So it was, wasn't pleasant. It wasn't something that I could talk about. And when he came back the next day, he bought a gun. Oh, him. wow. And his friend, his best friend was there who was actually there in the bed at the time that it happened. And he went through and he said to me, you do know that, that this is rape. You, you were raped. And I said, well, then why didn't you do anything about it? And he didn't say anything. But, yeah, this particular person went through and, and then just sort of waved the gun around as if to say, you know, this is what I've got. And so I didn't really feel like I could talk about it. But my cousin was there as well. She was she was there in the bed as well. But wow. um, nobody did anything. I, I just can't imagine, like, that That sounds absolutely horrifying. I mean, what did you do to, to cope with that? At first... You really wonder whether it was your fault, whether you could have done anything, whether, you know, whether there was, whether there was something that you did to provoke it. 
you don't really, as a as a fourteen year old, you don't necessarily respond sensibly. I think would be a way of, you know, logically about these things. You you wonder whether it's your own fault. He was a good looking guy, and and you know we looked up to him, and so it wasn't something that I thought would happen. Wow, that's yeah, absolutely tragic. What you're saying, it's uh, yeah, really heartbreaking too. Especially, I think just looking at your your life, it, would you say that this sort of traumatic experience sort of informed a lot of you know how did it impact your your growing up? It wasn't long after that that I started rebelling a lot, and I I went into doing cracking cocaine and I was doing modeling at the time and so there was a, a particularly I suppose I don't like to say evil world but it's a it's a it's a particularly yeah it's vulnerable for young people there's a lot of drugs there's a lot of sex there's a lot of all sorts of yeah you know kinds of things that go on in that particular world. So I was supposed to be doing my year 10. They call it a ROSA now, I think, but year 10 certificate back then. And I was quite intelligent at school. I always was in the top the top classes. And when I didn't turn up to my exams, final year exams, the principal then went through and rang my parents who didn't then know that I was doing all these things because, of course, I was saying that I was over at my girlfriend's place studying mm. her exams. So when um, they realised that there was something going on and my mum had just been out of hospital, so and she, when she saw me, she said to me, you look worse than I do and I've just got out of hospital. What's going on? And so, you know, I hid it for a little while, but... It got to a point where I couldn't, and so my parents then locked me, not locked me in my room, but, you know, I my windows and all of that were locked because I used to go through and, and climb out the window when I'd go to bed. Mm-hmm. I'd climb out the window and then off I'd head for the night and, and be back by morning. Mm. And so they went through and they put locks on my windows and so forth, and I went down the track of detoxing off cocaine and crack. So, um, yeah. You mentioned to me in the past that, you know, there was a point that, you know, things were were quite bad and you were considering moving away from Sydney to go somewhere else. Now, you've also described the, the encounters you had with a clairvoyant named Rose. Yeah. Uh, what was this first sort of point that you came in contact with Rose and what sort of led to that interaction? Okay, well, the first time... My first interaction with Rose actually was over the telephone. I would have been about 30, I think, by then. And Rose, she went through and my mum had organised a, uh, a reading for me. and She actually lived in New Zealand. And so I rang and she went through and she was saying to me that I needed to let go of my ex, which we had broken up and... We weren't living together and so forth. And and I said to her, I have. And she said, you haven't because you still have clothes of his in the top. You've got clothes, all his stuff in the top of your wardrobe. Mm. 
There's no way she could have known that either, right? No, no, she couldn't because I didn't even tell mum about it because, well, he was going away overseas and instead of, of keeping his his property, his, his rental, he said to me, could I look after his stuff until he got back because he was going away for three months. So I said, yes, of course I would. And so nobody knew. <laughs> nobody had any idea, so... And I said to her, yes, well, you know, I was doing him a favour. She says, you're still in love with him. And I was, yeah, the whole thing was very confronting. I ended up in tears and and thought she was an absolute, you know, she was diabolical. Yeah. (laughs) And and I was supposed to have a reading again a week later. And and I never did. I, I never, I never, you know, it was paid for and everything, but I never did it. But during that period of time, of course, she then had an interest in me and would ask mum all the time about how I was going and so forth. But I didn't actually meet her till much later, about four years later, I think. And then I met her in person. Wow. Did you think there was any connection at the time between your dreams that you'd had versus Rose? What did you think of Rose and the fact that she was able to she she knew that your ex-boyfriend's stuff was in the drawer. What did you sort of chalk that down to at the time? Look, I, I believe in clairvoyancy because of things that I used to see. So it wasn't something that I, you know, I never really spoke about it and that kind of thing, but I, I knew different things. And in the clairvoyance world, they call it a knowing. And so I wasn't really, I hadn't thought about it much. I mean, I went through and had the the reading with her I just thought, you know, clearly you know and clearly you've, you know, you have some psychic connection. And so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't at that point in time know how things worked. I I was not really aware of it. I didn't put the dreams together with, with being a clairvoyant or, 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 or even having a knowing. I didn't really know that much about it. My family. We didn't really talk about it. It wasn't one of those things that you actually spoke about. And the only thing that I'd really had was that, that day, that, that couple of days when my grandmother had come after being attacked. You put things, you put things out of your mind and you just go on with living life. So many other things happen and you don't really talk about that kind of things with friends and, and so forth because, you know, it is a bit weird. Right. And particularly, about what you mentioned about Rose. Now, you, you said that, you know, she was asking about you and she clearly had an interest in you beyond what she would for any of her other clients. How did you end up meeting her in person and what actually happened next? I had gone through some a period of time where I was I was unsure what I was doing. I'd started my own business and I wasn't particularly getting along with my sisters and so forth. And I had a, an ex that, that I ended up having three ABOs out on and he wouldn't go away and lots of other things, lots of personal things were going on. And so I went to Perth to see a friend and Rose came over from New Zealand to stay with mum and mum and her had, had been very close and and so she went through and she said, when is Kathy coming home? I need to talk to her. So mum rang me and um, she said to me, when are you due to come home? 
And I said a couple of days, she said, Rose needs to talk to you. So, and at that point in time, I knew things were changing in my life. I knew that there were just other things that seemed to be going on. I was able to read people a lot more clearly. I'd be able to know what was going on with things that I shouldn't really know about and, and that kind of stuff. So I think I was at that point ready for a change. So, By reading people, do you mean like as far as intuition, like if someone says or behaves a certain way, you were able to know exactly what was, what was going on? Yes. Okay. So I could sense when they were when somebody was frustrated and so forth with, before they got frustrated and would say to different ones, look, this is going to happen, so you might want to go through and stay away from that situation. And so, yeah, when I started doing that and I was right all the time, it just was one of those things where I – knew something was different. Okay. So, so you came home and, and there was Rose who was pretty keen to, to meet you and talk to you. Yeah. What, what was it that she told you? Well, I was a little scared actually meeting her because I'd never met her before and I remember this ogre of a woman who's who's Russian, so she's very was very powerful in the way she spoke. And then when I actually met her, she was about five foot one and she had white hair and she was just this little old lady who was just the sweetest thing really yeah she was just the sweetest looking lady but um not at all the picture i had of her i sort of had a picture in my mind of a tall broad you know russian lady that was yeah maybe looked partly like a man Mm. She was, but no, she was just a sweet old lady that, yeah, that, yeah, when we sat down, she said to me, you, you know what's been going on now, don't you? I said, I sort of feel. And she says, so where are you moving to? Are you moving to Perth or are you moving to Melbourne? And I said, pardon? She says, you know what I mean. Are you, you haven't told your mum. Where, where have you decided you're, you're moving to? And I had decided before I came back from Perth that I was going to move out of Sydney. And I hadn't spoken to anyone, hadn't even spoken to my son about it. And, yeah, so she went through and she said to me, I said to her, I'm probably going to Melbourne. She says, I thought you would. So, yeah, I then uh, and then said to her, so what is it you needed to talk to me about? And she said, it's time for you. The angels have been waiting a long time for you to step up. Have you finished drinking and doing your drugs because it's time that you started taking this seriously? Wow. And I said, yeah, I think I'm pretty much done with that. And uh, she said, yeah, because you have work to do. And she said, but you knew that, didn't you? And I said, yeah, I sort of thought something was going on. So she said, yeah, it's time. So, yeah, I then decided that I would move and I would start doing readings and so forth. She came and stayed with me for a little while and, and uh, taught me stuff and uh, particularly how to protect myself from energy. So I used to get some terrible pain 
where I couldn't go out in, in public. It became very strong. I couldn't go out in public without hearing things, hearing people's, what I thought were people's voices and their thoughts and so forth. I couldn't touch things without knowing where they'd been. And it became a very, became very different. I became very bombarded with what I thought was people's energies. And so, yes, Rose then said to me, you, these are the crystals you're going to need to start wearing. These will go through and help you be able to function normally in, in public. Because I then found it very difficult to go to the shops to get food, to go shopping, because I couldn't, I couldn't block out all of the stuff that started to, to come in. Mm. But at the same time, you also started a, a business as a, a clairvoyant mm. in Melbourne, right? Yep. Uh, I guess I actually, what I did before we, we started this interview is I went on Reddit and asked people if you could ask a clairvoyant anything about how their job works, what would it be? And the res- I actually got two responses back just before we, um, we went on air. And one of them is like, what's it like being a compulsive liar for a living? And then the second response was, how do you sleep at night knowing that you prey on people's emotions at vulnerable moments for your own personal gain? Okay. Now, those two, two comments. They're confronting ones, aren't they? For the, people who, who don't know. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that there is sort of a lack of understanding about the spiritual realm that, that you were encountering at that point in time? Absolutely. I think that people, what people don't realize is, is you don't necessarily get the choice on, on what you get, what you receive. For me, when I did readings, I preferred to do them over the telephone uh, because that way then I didn't have to interact with the person. I would ask them not to, to speak their questions. I would ask them to write them down on a piece of paper and, and number them so that they had, you know, three questions they were able to ask. But I, they, they were questions that had to be written on, on a piece of paper, not, not actually spoken. Then I would get, I'd go through and I'd, I'd do the cards, I'd shuffle up the cards, they would pick. I'd say to them, you know, there's six decks in front of me, choose, you know, numbers from one to six. Normally would be the the way I would do it. And they would choose numbers. I would then do a deck for each question. And I would then go through and tell them what the answer to the question was without them telling me what the question was. So one of the things that when or one of the questions was how, you know, what's it like to be a compulsive liar? One of my things was is that I didn't want my own personal opinion to be put forward on what these questions were, which is why I did it that way. So that, that way then the, the answer to the question wasn't from me. So what sort of form was that answer being delivered? Like, would you hear a voice tell you the answer? Would it be a, a feeling like? How were you gathering those answers? It was, it was about knowing. Sometimes the words would just come out my mouth. And so the cards would there be there in front, and, and each of those cards have different meanings. And so I would look at that card, and there would be a certain answer that would come to my, to my mind. So, yeah, I, it, just, it, just, it just came. Daniel, I, I can't go through, and I can't really say or... Back then, I, I couldn't really understand what it, what it was. I just went down the track of, of doing what I thought it was, which I thought that they were, I thought they were angels going through and, and prompting answers. 
do you have any, I guess, red flags about the whole experience? Like, was there anything that would suggest to you that it was, I guess, nefarious or, or dangerous or, or negative or anything like that? Look, there was a lot of, I, lo- I ended up with a lot of physical pain and exhaustion. I could only do a set amount of readings in a day before, before I was too tired and I couldn't, I couldn't do anything else. And I had, I had my son. I, he was, um, about eight odd and it might have been ten, I don't know, eight or ten. And, and so, you know, I, I still had to, I still had to be a functioning person. So I, I didn't do any more than about four in a day. I was normally three, and it was only if it was a one of those things where because it take, it just just took took a lot out of me personally, like physically, and I was exhausted. Mm. So it's not something that you know. And when for me, I'm I'm a kind the kind of person that if I see somebody that is struggling, I'll go over and help them. So that for me. I thought that I was given, and, and you know, like Rose had said, you've been gifted. Uh, uh, you've been, you know, this is a gift you've been given. One of the things that were was very difficult, I found very difficult, is is being able to help other people. One of them was a policeman, actually, who who knocked at my front door. That there was a a burglary that had happened in the street, just further down off my street that I was living in, and. He came to the door, was, was just knocking on, on doors to see if anybody knew or had seen anything. And I remember it was, it was very, that was very embarrassing actually because I opened the door and the first thing that I, I, I blurted out my mouth was, you can't leave your wife. And he said to me, I beg your pardon. And I said, I am so sorry, but you just can't leave your wife. And, and he then said, can I come in? And so we then sat down and I said to him, he says, I don't understand how you could possibly know. He had been thinking of leaving his wife that day. And, of course, he hadn't discussed it. It was just something that as he was walking from place to place, knocking on these doors, that he was thinking that that was the best solution. The problem was is that she was actually pregnant and she wasn't telling him she was pregnant. She was suggesting and so they had been arguing and he just thought well I can't cope with the responsibility and so I told him well you know here's the thing she is pregnant and what you're actually doing is is you're arguing with her and she doesn't know how to tell you that she's pregnant but the thing is is she's going to lose the baby so this is part of what's going to happen and this information was just coming to you as you were talking to him it wasn't something that you were Processing or I didn't even know I'd never met the guy before in my life, and and being a policeman, oh, was even you know <laughs> you don't go blurting stuff out, and just it's, those kind of things would happen. And so as as the conversation progressed, I said that you will have another child, and and this time you'll be okay with it, but you really need to start addressing how you feel about your job because you're constantly worried about being in danger. Well, later on, they, they went through and um, well, she did miscarry and he was there for her. They ended up much closer. And then once I'd moved back to Sydney, he, I got a phone call and he said to me, do you remember who I am? And I said, yes, of course I do. And he said to me, I just wanted to let you know that we're pregnant with our next child. And I just want to say thank you so much for that day and, and what you said. 
So, you know, when, when you look at how can I sleep at night or how could I sleep at night, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I thought I was helping people. Yeah. Now that I, I know the information more about that side of things, it, it did take a good few years to get more more knowledge and that's where I feel very blessed that God didn't go through and leave me in darkness. Mm-hmm. But, uh, he thought that I was worth worth pulling out of there. So Now the people that would call you, what was the information that they were generally seeking? Was it to communicate with people that they loved that had passed away? And if so, I guess what what was your sort of feeling at the or opinion at the time about what happens to people after they die? Okay, so at that point in time, I actually thought that, well, people either went to heaven or they didn't. I didn't really um, know much about the Bible. I didn't really know much about about what God's Word had, what information there was in there. So for me, I just, you know, naturally thought that, that you know, people go to heaven and they get to watch from heaven down on you. Now, of course, it, it certainly doesn't make any sense because I don't see how heaven could possibly be a place where you watch your loved ones go through some terrible things. You can't comfort them and you can't do anything about it. So to me, I don't see that that's heaven when you put some logic to it. However, that's, you know, people don't think of it in that term. They think, you know, it's a nice place for people to go. Now I think it's it's much nicer to know that people are in a sleep and when they wake up, the next thing that they will wake to seeing is Jesus. Mm. So... It was at that point that also because of this understanding you had, like you had some sort of religious background or Christian background there to understand or to have an assumption what happens to people after they die. Was it part of that that informed you then going on to study angelology? I was studying the angelology because I was at a point I'd gone through and I'd done training in Reiki and which is is energy and astro travel and other realms we've gone through and I studied that and because a lot of it was, some of it felt very dark. So I was looking at how to connect with our angels and during that period of time, of course, I thought it was, you know, I had the concept of of good and bad of right and wrong, and also the fact that there were good angels and bad angels. So I just naturally expected that I was, you know, communicating with with good angels. There were certain things that, you know, certain things would move, certain things would open, certain things would, you know, there were there wasn't a, a fear in what I was doing. There was the odd time that I would have somebody that was a bit very dark, and and that was was a bit confronting because there would be then shadows and stuff through the house and yeah that that was that was something that then I would think okay I can't I can't read for you I can't help you I'm sorry I can't help you I would then go you know go through and and there was a lot of times where things like that there were things that had happened that you know and and I wasn't necessarily always charging there was some sometimes you know I would read for people just because I knew what was the right thing to do or it, I was impressed to. But, yeah, 
it's not a it's not a world that people think. The easiest way to explain it is when you look at counterfeit. We know that 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 Satan counterfeits things. So when you look at a counterfeit fifty dollar note, do you actually notice that it doesn't look like a fifty dollar note until you really examine it? Mm. It looks the same. It looks right. And and for me, I looked at myself and, and thought that, you know, I had gone all of, through all of these things in my life to be strong enough to then help other people. So I never looked at what I was doing as wrong or lying or had, and, you know, I didn't have trouble sleeping because of that. I had trouble sleeping because of other things. However, that wasn't my, my conscience seemed to be clear because my intention was to do the right thing and to help other people. It wasn't actually to, to make money, actually. Yeah. It wasn't the, the main part of it. In the meantime, you were, you were still studying angelology, trying to, un- trying to understand better what you perceived as, you know, influencing how you could n- possibly know these things, right? Now, it was at this point that your mum had actually asked you a question about the three angels' message, right? How did she come across that? And what was that exactly? What was your reaction when she was asking you about if you'd learnt about what the three angels' message is? Okay. Well, I was studying with a lady called Doreen Virtue. She's very well known in the New Age. She's actually come out of New Age now and has become a Christian after something like 40, 50 years in New Age and growing up New Age, which she now, now isn't. And so I was doing the angelology certification with her and through her and and I was watching some of the videos that because we were coming up to the end of the of the twelve month thing and I had exams to do and um, so I was rewatching over some of the the videos that we had been given and reading through some of the the literature that we were you know that we'd learnt. And and mum was looking and she had said to me, so what do you think about the three angels' message? And I said to her, what do you mean? She says, well, here you are learning about angels. I'm just wondering whether or not, you know, you've, I can see you've done historical, you know, history. You've, you've looked at the art and, and, and you've looked at the different things. We did Torah and the Quran and... The Bible, and she said. So I was just wondering what your what your thoughts on the three angels' message are. And I said I don't know anything about that. And she says, so you're telling me that you're going to be certified to teach people about angels, and you don't know what the three angels' message are. And I said, no, we don't. What are they? So she says, well, maybe you need to take a look in Revelation. So. I hadn't read through the Bible and I then started to wonder why it is that if we had gone into so much depth with all of these different angels, the different types of angels, the different ones through history, ones that have appeared in different different religions and so forth, that, that why would something like the Bible, which was quite commonly known, why would that not be in it? So I then started to be impressed to read Revelation. So 
she didn't go into to any depth about it, and so and and through it, like I'd been I'd been I'd been um, studying, going through for the exams for the last couple of weeks, and so a couple of different things that she'd gone through, and she'd say, "Oh, that's Gideon." I'd say, "Who?" She goes, "Oh, that's from Gideon." And so then she would tell me the story of Gideon because, of course, well, the angel side of things isn't just isn't the whole story. Those, we just went through the, the different appearances, why he appeared and, and that kind of thing. It wasn't actually the story of Gideon. So mum would then go through and say to me, oh, that's Gideon and, and this is what this was for. And so when she said to me, well, you need to go through and have a look in Revelations then, she then didn't tell me much about the story. So I, I then went, went reading. At that point, when you were reading through Revelation, I mean, one interesting thing that you've you've noted to me is that, you know, the visions that oh, are in Revelation. Awesome. Yeah, the vision. Do you know, Revelations was a revelation. It the things I had seen, some of the, some of the really violent things that had gone on, beasts and 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 things that you see. Yeah, they just they there was all of this in it, and some of it just seems so familiar that. I just thought, oh my goodness! So this is, yeah, I know about this. You know, I, I've seen some of these things. Mm. So to me, it was then, yeah, a it was an amazing. It was an amazing way to go through and think, okay, there's more going on. I don't know what's going on, but it was an, an eye opener. And I just thought, okay, there's things are starting to feel like they're falling into place. So. I went through and I read Revelations and and then like a couple of different things I've been reading and, and I, I couldn't get enough. And I remembered flicking to this page in the Bible and there was this verse that went through to say about seers or abominations to God. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, that's me. And so I realized and then I started getting this real overwhelming feeling that I needed to I needed to stop everything. I needed to stop everything and I needed to get rid of everything. And so I pulled all my certificates up. I got all my cards. Some of the cards that I had were very unique. There are were were, were certain ones that are they only have printed a set amount and that um, Rose had gone through and um, and given to me, and she had passed by this stage. So I, yeah, I went through and I got them all together, and I said to Mum, I need to burn them. And she said, why don't we just throw them out? I said, I can't. I, I need to burn them all. I don't know why. I just need to burn everything. So I had a friend that I had a fireplace and was also whose son had his his son had a property and they were doing a lot of, of clearing that property so they had had something like 20 or 30 bonfires on this big block of land that they were going through to, to burn off. And so he said to me, I can take it and burn it for you if you like. So we went down the track of, of having it all burnt and I knew it was the right thing to do. Was this around the same time that you'd already you'd also encountered a a pastor that your mum had introduced to you 
from the Seventh Day Adventist Church. Yes, Pastor David McKibben. He was uh, it was awesome actually. When I met David, he he yeah, he'd come for a visit to see Mum, and I was still I was still practicing at that point in time. So there are a couple of things that, of course, I went through and said to him, "Oh, this has happened in your life," and <laughs> so he was never judgmental. He was always very very kind about everything and and he'd make a couple of different comments and so forth but uh, then I said to him I'd read the revelations and he said to me well it's unusual he says um it's certainly not the first book people normally read in the bible so but he said you know from what I know of you it's probably it's probably a relevant book for you Mm. So we went down the track of, and I, and I said to him, I, I wanted to, how I couldn't help but want to know more. And so he, he asked me if I wanted to, if, well, I said to him, I, I want to do Bible studies. I want to know more. And he said to me, you know, I, I would be happy to do Bible studies if you want to do Bible studies. So yeah, we, we then started doing Bible studies and, and things dramatically changed. It was, it was during that doing the Bible studies and so forth that, I really was impressed to, to, to burn everything and to, to stop reading, to stop doing all of it, which, you know, it, it wasn't what made sense to me, you know, and to, to go through and to give all of it away because I was then impressed too. I just thought, well, I was so deeply impressed too that I, could, I couldn't help it. You know, I didn't even know about Jesus much during that period of time. I, it, was, it was going through and, and reading through the Bible that I actually really knew who Jesus was and what he did and, and why he became so important. So, Do you feel like as you were st- sort of finding out this stuff that it just, everything started falling in place and started to click as far as everything you'd experienced up until that point, you started to fully understand what it is that had actually been going on in your life? Yeah, definitely. I when when I started doing clairvoyancy, I that to me was where I thought things would start to make sense from my past, that I would just continue to keep journeying and that it would come clear. And the more I journeyed, really, the more more questions I had. There, it, it, things didn't seem to fall into place. I just seemed to feel as though there was there was something missing. And, and it wasn't until I started doing Bible study and that kind of thing that everything started to fall into place. It was, it was like, oh my goodness, this is why this has been happening. This is why, this is why this is, this is why that is. It, yeah, it then became an absolute eye opener. Yeah, wow. At what point did you then realize that you wanted to, to pledge your allegiance to God? Was it, just a gradual thing as you were learning about this and then that led in the culmination of, of giving away all the, all the cards that you had and, and burning them or was it, was there one snap moment when you had that aha moment? I think it's, it's different for everyone. I know for me, I had been having so many aha moments. It just wasn't funny. Things that once upon a time I had wondered about, I no longer wondered about, but it wasn't until such time as I started to trust. I trust to trust God. I had, of course, been wearing all sorts of bracelets that were crystals and so forth that would stop pain, that would stop voices, that would, and that kind of thing. And I remember one time when I 
got this impression to take them all off. Take them all off. You don't need them. You have me. And so I, I took them off my wrists. I would have had probably at least 10 on each wrist. And so I went through and I, I was going, needed to go up to the shops. And so I took them off and I was thinking I would leave them at home. And if this is, if you really, if I'm really to trust you, you will stop me from having pain without these, these things. So I left them behind and I went up the road and, and I didn't get any pain. And that was the start of, of, of starting to trust that God knew what I was going through. He knew what had been happening to me. He knew what had gone on in my life. He knew what I was combating and that he would look out for me. So that's sort of where I, I really started to think, okay, if this is what you're saying and that I can trust you, you would prove it to me. And he did. And from there I then realized that I couldn't. I would just be foolish not to just keep going. I needed to trust him completely and fully because it wasn't wasn't something that I wanted to um I'd wanted to experience anymore. I, I didn't want the nightmares, I didn't want the visions, I didn't want any of it and it was a matter of if if I was to have to trust him, I knew that he would take it take it away. Yeah. It- so you know what your story just fully lines up with the bible you know it, it describes even satan masquerading as an angel of light i mean in in the instance of your story all along you felt that you know something obviously felt off the whole time but you know generally you thought you felt like you were working for for the good guys or for the angels and then you started realizing that there's this sort of cosmic battle between the good and evil between god and satan and God has his angels that protect people, but so does Satan have his fallen angels that seek to attack people in a sense. Now, as you moved your allegiance over to God's side, obviously Satan wasn't going to let you go easily. What sort of started happening then? Well, I had, by that stage, I had a little boy who would have been about two or three, and he then started getting screaming in his ears. He started saying what he used to call the grey men in the corner of the room. He was always frightened. He was continuously being, his name was being called, and, and I couldn't hear any of it. Mum couldn't. And, and so he would say, why do you keep calling me? And, and, I'm saying, and I would say to him, nobody's calling you, mate. And he says, well, why won't they stop calling me? And they won't stop the screaming. Why won't they stop screaming? So, and it would be particularly at night time mostly where he would then get this and they would scream in his ears and that's all he could hear, but none of us could hear it. So, and that's, that was, that actually started. It wasn't, wasn't when I was reading, studying the Bible. That's not sort of when it happened. It started to happen when I decided to get baptized. When I had decided I want to get baptized, I know. I want to give my life to, to God. I want to work for good and um, I want to help others. But I want to do it, you know, I want to do it through Jesus. And now I had realized that everything that I was doing was wrong and I knew that Satan wasn't happy. So I would get blinding headaches and that kind of thing for the first little while. And, and people would go through and get some some 
terrible nightmares. He would wake up screaming in the night and so forth. But but we knew we had to just keep pushing. We just had to keep going. And so I started to learn to pray and kept praying and praying and then became involved in a in a prayer line with some absolutely beautiful ladies, one of them being a rat who just like my spiritual mother who who really and truly taught me how to pray and so forth. So we then, you know, we took everything to God. Every single time anything happens these days, we, we take it we take it in prayer mm. to Jesus. Because we know that, you know, it is a matter of, it isn't a battle that's over here. Satan does not want to give up anybody. You know, I just, I just know, I know that, that God's got us. That mm. uh, we just keep the faith. All we need is, you know, the faith of, of a mustard seed and, and he can work with it. So, yeah. Was it prayer that actually made those grey men and the screaming that your son was hearing, was it prayer that made them go away? Yes, absolutely. The more we prayed, I think that the less it occurred. It didn't just stop. It still hasn't stopped even to this day. He doesn't necessarily see the grey men. That did actually stop. It started. He then started seeing a little boy. And then after that, he hasn't seen, seen any in a while, a good few years. But he still gets the, the whispering in his ear from time to time. But the great thing is, is that, that the first thing he does is he goes straight to prayer. And you, and you know when it happens because, you know, here you have this little, little boy that just, you know, the first time I noticed it, he might have been about four and he just stopped and started to pray, dear Jesus, and you can take it away. And I trust you, Jesus. And I know. And, and, and that's when, you know, you realise that, that that God's got your children too. Mm. Um, so it isn't something that you really, you take for granted. I, I wouldn't know what to do without God in my life. I'd be an absolute, you know, I'd prefer to be dead, <laughs> mm. frankly, because it just what I know now about the world that is unseen and the journey from there to here, it's a pretty gruesome world. It's 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 pretty scary, and and Satan will promise you the world, and then he will and he will give you a world full of darkness and 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 despair. So it's not the world that uh, that you think. And there are always strings attached to everything. I don't believe I was strong enough to get out. I just believe that God knew, and uh, and somewhere along the line, and, and people have said to me before. I believe that you had out there people praying for you. And, and my, my grandmother has said to me over the last few years and since coming coming to to Christ and, and since being baptised, she said to me, I have never stopped praying for you. Mm. So, yeah, I think that that's where. And for, for those people whose parents have children that don't, that don't believe in God or don't follow God, I, all I can say is don't give up praying for them because your prayers make a difference for them. I don't believe I would have ever been able to come out of there had my grandmother not faithfully brought me to prayer every night. So, and I didn't even know. Wow. Your, your testimony, Kathy, is absolutely incredible because, you know, even when 
there is darkness, that also means that there is the the existence of light. And mm. in this instance, the light of God is came through to you through the most incredible of circumstances. Although I don't think the clairvoyant you came across really had that in mind when she said that the angels have something in store for you. They really do, the good angels this time around. Mm. For those people who think that some of the clairvoyants, some of them are, are the nicest of people, but they are absolutely deceived. And, you know, we're not fighting against flesh and blood here, people. We're, we're fighting against the powers, powers that went through and were able to convince a third of the angels from heaven. So we're not fighting against things, you know. What we're just, we don't even know what heaven's like, let alone being put in a position where, you know, to be convinced. Well, so, so we know Satan's convincing. We know he's deceptive. We know that, that, that all of these things, but it, it's about your intention. God knew my intention was to try and help other people. And even though I was absolutely led astray, it was something that had been going on in my life for a long time. And Satan had, had, had tortured me a long, a long while to get to that point where, you know, I had, I'd thought about suicide, I'd gone through and I'd done lots of drugs to stop the, the visions and so forth. I didn't just go out and, and decide to be a clairvoyant, you know. I I didn't do it till much later in life because I felt that, you know, maybe this was what I was supposed to be doing. We're, we're, we're battling against the fact that we are in a world where a lot of people don't really think it exists. You know, you hear about it, it's in movies, you know, there's lots of those shows that have, have gone through and, and, and they make it fiction. But it's not fiction. It's reality. And it's a reality, reality that's not seen. Hmm. And unfortunately, it is, it's very easy to go through and to say it doesn't exist if you don't see it. But if you're going to do that, how can you go through and not say that God exists? Look at, look at everything around you. Look at the way you put a seed in the ground and it sprouts. You know, how can you not see that God's in everything? I guess if there's anybody who's listening to this who might already be even involved in this stuff or or maybe, you know, what what we've talked about, Kathy, has raised a whole bunch of questions that they hadn't considered before, you know, throw us a line. We have a page on our, our website, signsofthetimes.org.au slash help, where you can just, just throw us a line if you have a question, if you have you know, a comment that you have about anything we've discussed today or you want to know more. Uh, maybe you want to know where if you want to sort of look for someone to talk to about the Bible or, or have Bible studies or anything, just throw us a line there and we can definitely um, get back in touch with you about some of those things. But Kathy, I, I really do appreciate uh, how vulnerable you've been in sharing your, your life story with us. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Signs of the Times Radio and indeed to have you in the magazine, your your story in the, the article. I used to be a clairvoyant, here's why I stopped. So if anybody wants to read the article, it's also on the website, signsofthetimes.org.au or you can also subscribe and get a copy of the magazine. So thank you so much for, for joining us this week. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me, Daniel. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, 
visit signsofthetimes.org.au in Australia or signsofthetimes.org.nz in New Zealand.